Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing all right? It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord and just immersed in the word of the Lord. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, today's a good day. Yesterday was a really good day uh, because yesterday was K-1 camp. And uh, it's a day camp just for kindergartners and first graders. And it was completely packed with people. It was just awesome. Uh, Allison and I just got to spend the day with them, hanging out with them. And, uh, you know, there's just some, I mean, I, I love all the camps, but uh, this one's special because it's like 160 kids and 160 parents. And uh, so you get to see them interact with each other. And uh, after we spent the day together, uh, we were in the rec center at the end of the day for their end of their camp experience, about four o'clock. And uh, this one little boy comes up to me and it's his parents' first time to be at the camp and his first time, you know, the K-1 is the first camp experience they get. And he comes up to me and he goes, I just want you to know, I just had the greatest time of my life. And, uh, and it was just so awesome to hear that. And I said, so you coming back? And he goes, oh yeah, I'm coming back. I go, you promise? He went, pinky swear. So we were in there pinky swearing to each other. Yeah, I'll be back. And, uh, I, and you know, for those of you that say you shouldn't swear, pinky swear is different than that. Okay, I'm just saying. Anyway, you know, that was just one really cool story. Another one uh, is uh, the last two hours was an opportunity for uh, everybody to just play together, just to have like time to, to just go out and have fun. And there's all these different uh, water things you can do. There's you know, there's canoes and paddle boats and kayaks and water slides and and the pool and all kinds of other things that, that people can do. And uh, Alice and I went down to this like gazebo area and uh, you could watch all of that happening around you. And uh, people are out in the kayaks and of course, uh, you know, sound carries over the water. And there was this uh, father in a large kayak and he had his, uh, his son in front of him. And he's, uh, you know, doing the, this with the uh, paddles. And then he's teaching his, his son how to kayak this way and steer it and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm listening to him coach his son on how to do this. And in the midst of that, he starts saying, and this is how Jesus works with us. And uh, Allison just like completely melted into a little puddle. And because you see these captured moments of where people get to share with their children, it's just incredible, right? And I love it when we get to assemble together in a place like this because those contexts, those contexts are spiritual moments. So camp is a context for these spiritual moments to happen. Church is a context for these spiritual moments to happen. And, uh, and I just want God to be able to do some of those incredible moments right here, right now. So if you're at any one of our locations, if you're inside, if you're online, those are all contexts where we really want God to do spiritual moments in your life. And we're in a new series, uh, just not very, very far into it, called Crazy Faith. 
And when we start thinking about crazy faith, there's different components. And I want to talk to you today about the component of love. So I'm thinking about that. I'm getting ready for this sermon. And of course, my mind goes directly into love songs, right? So I'm going to ask you a question. And this is going to be a question that you need to answer and share. Ready? What is the greatest love song of all time? You think about it. Take some time. Don't share it. Don't blow it. Just, it's going to take a little while because there's a lot of them, right? So many of them. What is the greatest love song to you of all time? If you're sitting near someone right now, I'm giving you permission. You share it with each other. Go ahead, just do it right now. All of our locations. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share something right now. I bet you they were different. Unless you're a couple and there was some song playing on the, you know, that kind of thing. It's like this is our song. Unless it's that. I bet they were different. As a matter of fact, I bet there are a few duplicates in what all of you just shared because our choices are as personal as they are emotional, right? You, you might have uh, chosen a song because it was playing at a particular time like, or uh, uh, in your life. Like, I can't think of songs, I really can't much out of the 70s when it comes to that because that's like where a lot of my musical formation happens. So I'm thinking of Harry Nielsen doing All I Need is the Air That I Breathe and to Love You. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Olivia Newton-John, I Honestly Love You. I'm thinking of uh, Whitney Houston covering Dolly Parton's song, And I Will Always Love You. Oh yeah, that's a winner, right? Yeah. But I got a little bit of Led Zeppelin, whole lot of love in me, you know? I got a little of that too, you know, but you see, I'm kind of, you know, as some of you are like older than me and you're going, are you kidding me? I mean, have you ever heard of a guy named Frank Sinatra? You know, so a lot of you are younger than me and you're saying, well, what about this? And what about that? We all have these songs like, and, you, and, and it might be a song that you shared in a moment. Like this is our song. And the truth is every time you hear that song, what happens? There's this flood of memories that comes along with it, right? And it just feels so good. You know what it's said that music is the language of emotion. I agree with that. And if that's true, then singing is that language's spoken word. See, there is so much emotion in music and there's so much emotion in us. And I think you need to know that those emotions they come directly from God because you and I were made in the image of God and God is an emotional God. He is a God who feels. I think a lot of times we get to thinking about God and he's so great and he's so powerful and it's like nothing can affect him and all of that. We, we tend to forget that he is an emotional God. He not only feels emotions, he invented emotions. 
And when you go into the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul, he talks about the fruit of the spirit and he talks about the things of this world or the sins of the flesh. And when he talks about those things, they're always described in emotions. And you go to the very first one in that list of the fruit of the spirit and the apostle Paul lists the greatest and the highest of all the emotions and it's love, right? Love. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, love. How many of you right now do not share this with your neighbor? Would say, would consider yourselves good at love. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, all that. I'm good at love. And right now when you hear me say that, some of you are giggling because you're thinking of all sorts of ways that love is expressed, right? Or, and it can describe a great many things, and it can describe a number of different relationships, right? It's one of the problems with being a primary English-speaking culture. Because in English, there's just one word. And the word's Love. And that, that word is so generic, right? It can describe so many different things. When you look at the Bible, though, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew language, there are three words for love. In the New Testament, in the ancient Greek language, there's six words for love. Interesting. But there's one word in the ancient Greek of the New Testament that rises above them all. And it's the word for love called agape or agapeo. Why is it the greatest and the highest? Well, for a lot of reasons, but let me give you this. It's the one that Jesus used to define the greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the agape word. It was the word that he chose to use to teach his disciples, you are my disciples and you'll know that if you have love for each other. Agape, agapeo. And it wasn't just a word they used. It was a word that they saw in action every day as they were around Jesus because that's the way he lived his life 24-7. And, and it was not just seen in his example, it was constantly in his teaching. Now, there's one particular area that I want to call your attention to. It's in John chapter 15. Jesus is at what we call the Last Supper. They're celebrating Passover, and Jesus is trying to help them to understand what he's going to be going through, and he uses this word nine times. Let's look at it in John 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has, there it is, agape, has loved me, so I have, there it is again, loved you. Now remain in my love. Same word. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
This is my command in verse 17. Love each other. I just asked you a question a little while. Are you good at love? Well, are you good at that one? Are you good at that kind of love? Well, that's kind of hard to say, you know? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know how I should really, you know, compare myself. How about we just settle it? How about we just figure it out together? Would you like to do that today? I mean, I really feel like we can. The Apostle Paul gives us these incredible tools for us to figure out just how good we are at this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, okay? And what he's going to do is divide this up into two things. First, he is going to show us that all of the gifts that we think makes us more spiritual, they're nothing compared to love. All right, let's look at it together. He says, and this is so beautiful, it's so poetic. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, think about that. Who are the people that speak in the tongues of men and angels? I mean, today you might say, well, that would be a great preacher or a great teacher or a great politician or some great orator or some great philosopher, right? But they're saying if that love is not overwhelming all of that, that this is what you truly are, just just a noisemaker. Look at this. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. I have all the answers to your questions. I'm the greatest counselor. I'm a wise sage. People come from all over to hear what I have to say of this great wisdom. And you know what? Paul is saying is that without love, it's like it it equals all that added up together equals zero. Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and if I give over my body to hardship, you know, the older translations of the Bible would say, surrender my body to the flames, that I may boast and do not have love, I gain nothing. Well, there's just no room there. So, so many of us think that if we are self-sacrificing servants, if we are wise sages and have this great understanding of God's word, or if we are incredible communicators and people just just melt at, at hearing our voice, we think that makes us spiritual. The Apostle Paul's saying, absolutely not. Those are all great gifts, but they don't mean a thing without love. He's going, so what? And then, to help us understand it, he gives us a quiz. How many of you remember pop quizzes in school? Remember a pop quiz? Usually they're pretty short, right? So is this one. It's just 15 questions. So here's what I want to do. I want you, if you will, to do this little exercise, and I want you to take a pop quiz with me, okay? Just going to do it right now. Pop quiz. 15 questions, and... The answers are one to five. Five being that you're really, really good at it. One being that you're really, really bad at it. And I'm not going to let anybody give anybody, give yourself a zero. And and you don't get to grade anyone else, just yourself. 
Okay, no zeros. One to five, pop quiz. Ready? Here you go. Number one, love is patient. One to five on patience. I don't like this pop quiz. I don't like it. Love is patient. Question number two, how kind are you? Love is kind. Love does not envy. How are you doing? You're probably up to what, four? <laughs> it does not boast, one to five. It's not proud, wow. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. How are you doing on the whole, your agenda versus God's agenda? It is not easily angered. And then, oh, isn't this one special? Let's just move on, right? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. How are you doing on that one to five? It always, and this is the key word here, five would be always. Always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This word in the original Greek can also mean stops. Love never stops. So I took the test before I made you take it. Uh, there's a possible uh, 80. You could get an 80. 80 uh, would be your highest score. I got uh, a 26. I got a 26. So what I did was I put this on like a grading scale, like zero to hundred. And that meant that I got a 35%. Now, I don't know where you went to high school. All of you went to high school, all of our locations, but I can tell you the grading at my high school was this. To get an A, you had to have a 95 to 100. To get a B, 94 to 88. A C, 87 to 77. A D, 77 to 70. Anything below 70 was failing, which means I failed this two times over. A 35 is only half of below 70. So I'm terrible at this. And you think, oh, well, Jerry, you poor thing. I don't feel bad at all because I know you're just as bad as me. And if you scored higher, it just means that you really are terrible on the humility part. <laughs> yeah. You see, there's only one person who got a perfect score on this pop quiz, and that's Jesus. So let me ask you a question, because this brings a question up in my mind. Why does he command us to do something that we're just so bad at? Maybe it's because we need, need to be reminded that we need a savior and not just once, but every moment of every day. Maybe it's because we tend to judge our worth by comparing ourselves to others when we can only rightly compare ourselves to Jesus. 
Maybe it's because humility is a virtue that we can really never get enough of. Maybe it's because we need to be reminded just how great our Savior is. Maybe we need to step down off of our self-righteous perch. Maybe we need to let Jesus have his throne back. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny to me because when I've done weddings for people, a lot of times they'll say, well, we want scripture reading. And the scripture that they always tend to go to is this one. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13 because it's just so beautiful. And here we are. And it's like, love is patient. Love is kind. Love, ah. And a lot of those couples are fighting before they ever get to the reception. See, you can wear the most beautiful dress. You can have the most handsome groom. You can throw the biggest party. You can have the finest of friends. You can have the costliest honeymoon, but you just can't make love like that. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. And this is one of the crazy things about faith because we aren't any good at giving Jesus what he wants. On our best day, we're still terrible at this. But understand this about him. He doesn't slow down his love for us, not even a little bit. Why? Because Jesus is patient. You need that? He's patient with you and me. Because Jesus is kind to you and to me. He doesn't envy. He's not boastful. He's not prideful. He won't dishonor you. How many people think that Jesus is there just to point out all your failings? It's not true. He doesn't dishonor you. He doesn't seek for himself. How about this? Did you know that Jesus is not easily angered? Can I get an amen? How about this one? He keeps no record of wrongs. Can I get an amen and an amen? That he doesn't delight in your evil, but he rejoices when you find the truth. That he will always protect you, always trust in you, always hope in you, and always persevere with you. He won't ever fail and he won't ever stop. That's the love of Jesus. But how do I get that? Understand what he said in John. It says, abide in my love. Doesn't say abide in yours. Abide in my love. And that's the most critical part of crazy faith. It just needs to be more of him and less of me. That's what this is all about. I need, to be, I need to be committed to making it more about him and less about me. So in John 13, Jesus is with his disciples. They're celebrating Passover for the third time together. They're in Jerusalem, and we call this the Last Supper. Now, while Jesus is having this meal with his disciples, he's trying to tell them about what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, particularly his death. He's trying to prepare them for what they're going to experience. It's going to be horrible. That he is going to die for them in what will be the greatest single act of agape love 
in all of human history, past, present, and future. Now, in the midst of that, there's this bonehead called Peter, who's a lot like you and me, and he tries to shoplift this moment from Jesus. Jesus is talking to them, and Peter takes over the conversation, and he makes this statement, Jesus, I would die for you. Jesus is talking about how he's going to die for them, and then Peter flips it and says, I would die for you. You know what Jesus does? He answers him by saying that before morning comes, Jesus that, that Peter would not, only would not only not die for him, he would deny him, and he would deny him three times before the night was over. And you know what? Later that night, Simon Peter did that very thing. While Jesus was arrested, being beaten, Simon Peter was in the courtyard denying that he knew anything about Jesus or had ever been with Jesus. He did the very thing that Jesus said he would do, and the opposite of what he said he would do. But Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He was arrested and he was on his way to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Now, three days later, Jesus rose and, and after that, he appeared to his disciples and he did that a number of times. One of those times was in John chapter 21. It's, it's of particular interest to me. What's happening is a lot of these disciples are going back to their old habits, their old occupation. They're back up at the Sea of Galilee, left Jerusalem. They're, they're trying to fish. They fished all night. They haven't caught anything. And then there's this voice that comes over the water. They can't see who it is. It's too far away. But it's Jesus, and he's putting his hands around his mouth, and he's saying, hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? Like, that's going to make any difference. And they do, and when they do, there's so many fish that the boat begins to sink. They realize who it is. They start making their way toward the shore. Simon Peter jumps out of the boat trying to get to the shore. Jesus has already caught some fish and is making breakfast for his friends. So they share this miraculous breakfast by the sea, and then Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he goes, let's go for a walk. Come on. Now there's a conversation that happens on the seashore just between Simon Peter and Jesus. And the problem with this in the Bible is it loses a lot of its meaning in the in English language. That it needs to be understood in its original language. Let's read it. It's in John chapter 21. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, there's some obvious things that you can pick up out of this in the English language. One is that he called 
Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, that is the name he was born with. He was born with the name Simon. He got that from his father, John. So, hence, Simon, son of John. As a matter of fact, he'd been called that his whole life until Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when they're in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am? They're coming up with all sorts of different answers. He looks at Simon and he points his finger at him and says, who do you say that I am? And Simon says this, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And from now on, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He called him Petros. Peter means little stone. And then he said, upon this rock, that's the word Petra, which means huge cliff face, I'll build my church. It meant that the church was going to be built on Jesus Christ, the big rock. But Simon Peter was going to be a chip off the old block, little stone. And from that moment on, everyone called him Peter until here in John 21, where Jesus said, Simon, son of John. It was like, all that time they'd spent together was erased. It's like we have to go back to the start. It's like we have to go back to the beginning. And it's not just that he called him Simon, son of John. It was like he lost that Peter handle. It was that he asked him the question three times. Reminding Simon Peter what he had said in his arrogance I'm so good at love, Jesus, when he really wasn't. Now, those are obvious, but there's one that's less obvious. I want us to look at it again. John 21. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape, oh, do you agape me, love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I Phileo, different word. It's the word for brotherly love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia. Phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Agape, phileo. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because he went from here down to here. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It was more than just reminding him of his denials. It was also teaching him how far he was 
trying to compare himself to Jesus. How far away he was. And Jesus wants you to know that as well. He knows how far we are from the expectation of his command. He knows how desperately we need him to be our savior. And with all of that, with all of our fallibility, he entrusts this eternal message to us to spread it to save a world because he loves it enough to die for it and he chooses you and me to spread that message. The beginning of this sermon, I asked you a question and I said, there's gonna be very few uh, duplications, right? What's the greatest love song of all time? I'm gonna answer that question because there's only one. There's only one greatest love song of all time. And it was the very first song I ever learned. It was the very first song I ever sang. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They're weak, but he is strong. Watch. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. There it is. Three times. Three times for all the times that I have denied him. Three times for all the times that I have failed him. Three times for all the times that I have abandoned him. That truth remains the same. That the greatest love is the love that Jesus has for us. And what he did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead is enough. Enough for me, enough for you, and enough for all the sins of the world. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.